Today we're going to be starting a new series called Broken. Um, it's going to start today with, 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 with me presenting some stuff, and it'll finish up with Ken on, 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 on Easter Sunday presenting a message. Um, so when Ken asked me if I'd be part of this, he said, uh, Scott, I want you to, to preach for me. You know, he needs a break every now and again and recharge his batteries. I said, I'd love to. What's it going to be on? He says, well, this is where we're going with it, and I want you to start it out. I said, well, what do I get? I'm excited. I mean, this is give a great message, and I want you to preach on sin in a broken world. Well, wait a minute. Do I get to preach Christ at the end of it? He says, no. Well, wait a minute. This don't sound so fun. Really, this, I want one of them feel-good sermons. He says, no, you're going to preach on the depravity of man and where we are as a world. I said, all right, Ken, I got a deal for you. I teach marriage class on Wednesday nights. I want you to teach the next class for me. He said, I can do that. That'll give you some more time to study and prepare. He says, what's the subject on in marriage class? I says, Ken, you get to have the talk. <laughs> he said, the what? I said, the talk. The subject is on marriage and sex. I think I got the better end of the deal. What do you think? <laughs> huh? Amen? Um, this ain't a feel-good sermon. I'll just, we'll, we'll preface it there. We're going to go to the dark places um, and see the depravity of man. We're going to look at sin. Um, and when it comes to sin, I think that's why Ken chose me to preach this subject. I'm really good at it. Um, as Paul says, I'm the chief sinner. Um, I feel that way sometimes. I don't know about you. Um, it's either that or I still have a close connection with the world. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, today, like I said, we're going to look at this dark side. This world is broken. This world doesn't have hope. Um, and as I was prepared for this, delving into, delving into man and the world, I um, sat at my table yesterday and tears came to my eyes as I was putting this together, realizing, wow, wow, we have gotten, we've come a long ways. We've come a long way since 1965. Um, we have an enemy and he's real. Pastor Bass, who came here a couple weeks ago and shared with the Chili's feed, compared to Satan to just, his tactic is a, is a wrecking ball. It just keeps pounding, and it keeps pounding, and it keeps pounding. Doesn't need to change at all. He just keeps pounding away at us. Um, I want to share a short little clip here, and um, this is a prophet. He is going to prophesy. He is going to talk about things that in 1965, in your mind, were unimaginable. I want you to count in your own mind how many of these things that he's going to share in here that in 1965 didn't exist, weren't even thought of. We had no inkling that this could ever take place in 2018. This prophet's name is Paul Harvey. Anybody ever hear of Paul Harvey? Huh? Go ahead, Steve. If I were the devil, if I were the devil... If I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. 
To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious and what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Wow. How could he have known these things back then, huh? How many did you count? Did anybody keep track of how many? Huh? The world is broken. The planet is more polluted than ever. Wars everywhere, marriages are under attack at alarming rates. People's definitions of male and female have crossed unimaginable lines. People's lives are more and more about just surviving. News headlines hardly affect us anymore. Nothing seems to shock us. Can you imagine if the headlines we see today you had seen 20 years ago? Broken. It's an adjective, having been fractured or damaged, no longer in one piece or in working order, of a person having given up all hope, despairing. He went to the grave a broken man. Synonyms, defeated, beaten, vanquished, overpowered, overwhelmed, interrupted, disturbed, fitful, disrupted, disconnected, discontinuous. These words describe our world right now. Let's take a look at the broken world. And like I said, this isn't a feel-good. We need to see how far we have gone before we realize how far this reaches. Western culture, 90% of marriage people will marry by age 50. However, the divorce rate is 40 to 
of married couples, uh, the divorce rate goes up even higher than that if it's a, a second or third marriage. Reasons for divorce, issues regarding sex, fighting dirty, trying to fix one another, lack of commitment, infidelity, lack of appreciation, no one's paying attention to me. There is no security and significance in these marriages. You know, it, it made me think as I, as I wrote them down, what do we pray about in that elder room? As we gather all the prayer requests, what are those top three things that we pray about? Number one, marriages. The number one we, thing we pray about as your elders is marriages. The number two thing, but I guess health, medical, medical conditions. People are sick. It's a broken world. And the third thing, money. Those are the top three things that we pray about. Marriages, medical, I could say health issues, but the M fit together so I could do the three M's. Medical, money, and marriages. Our nation is in debt. National debt right now. If you haven't seen it, go on to the website, nationaldebt.org, and watch the real-time thing of all the monies being spent all over from every entity you can imagine, money coming in, money going out, and realize that as you watch it for about 10 seconds, we've just got another $250,000 in debt. Individual debt. Americans are swimming in debt right now. The average American has $16,000 on the credit cards. Mortgages are about $180,000 in debt. Auto loans, $35,000. Student loans, $50,000. Average American debt somewhere between two hundred and fifty thousand and a half a million dollars in debt. Two thousand seventeen, one point six million new cases of cancer will take place in this country. Six hundred thousand people will die of cancer projected in the United States next year. Seventy-eight million adults and thirteen million children in the United States deal with the health effects and emotional effects of obesity. This is second only to tobacco. Um, an estimated 300,000 deaths next year. 2017, the Virginia Tech massacre, Seng Hoi Chow, I don't know if I said that right, but you don't know any different, <laughs> killed 32 kids and teachers, left 17 wounded. 2012, Sandy Hook Elementary, Adam Lanza, killed 26 students, injured two. 1999, Columbine High School Massacre, 13 people killed, 24 injured. As high school seniors, Eric Harris, 18, Dylan Kybel, 17, the reports claim that the boys targeted jocks and taunted people for their belief in Christianity and made jokes with each other as they killed their peers. Bastille Day is a national holiday for France. Well, July 14th will only become known as the day that a man took a 25-ton vehicle and drove it through a crowd, killing 84 people and leaving hundreds of others wounded. 2017, on the top of the 32nd floor of the Mandolin Bay Casino, a man shoots into a crowd, killing 59 people, 527 injured. We live in a broken, broken world world people. We have to see this. 28,000 internet users viewing porn every second. The time it took me to make that statement, that's 280,000 views. 
75 million visitors to adult sites between 2008 and 2016. The average age a child is first exposed to pornography is 11. 11 years old. At 11, I just cared about Lincoln Logs and Legos. 34% of teenage girls will have shared some form of explicit photo of themselves compared to 15% of boys. And if you think this is going away, it's not. 2006, $97 billion in revenue was generated with this industry. It's not going away. And this is the one that broke me. On June 20th, 2001, Andrea Yates, who had emotional issues, mental illness, was not allowed to be with her kids, so they set it up when the husband left, his mother would show up. There was a one-hour lapse, a one-hour lapse in the mother showing up and the father leaving. And she drowned Mary, age one, Noah, age seven, Luke, age two, Paul, age three, and John, age five. In a one-hour span, this lady drowned her five children. Yesterday, just yesterday, a Brooklyn man methodically murdered his one-year-old daughter, his stepdad, and his 16-year-old stepbrother before killing himself. Yesterday, a homeless couple was discovered with their two children all dressed in pajamas in a vehicle with the windows covered in a South Carolina strip mall presumably dead from carbon monoxide. And just this morning, as I was preparing this, going through the headlines, um, I came upon, Dear Mommy, I am so sorry I had to, do th- I had to kill myself. A transitioning teen's tale takes out a half-page ad in the Miami Herald. Eric Freeber was only 17 when she decided to kill herself. Uh, she was a straight-A student, elected in the National... Society of High School Seniors accepted to 11 colleges on full scholarships. She was described as pure joy. She wrote her own death letter and said, I want to be remembered as a transgender, pansexual teenage girl named Hope. Being transgender is my identity. My sexual orientation or sexual identity is pansexual. Meaning, I don't care about what the person is. I care about who the person are. Sexual orientation is who you go to bed with. And gender identity is who you go to bed as. My mind is, wow. They interviewed her mom. I won't go through all of it, but mom says, you know, Eric apologized for the sins and asked mom for forgiveness. Mom's response after the fact is, he didn't have any sin. We never used the word sin. This list could go on and on and on and on. But let's go back to the first news report. How about the first murder? Genesis 4, 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is wrong, what is not right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It must rule you. 
Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and murdered him. We've got to take a look back and see where, where does all this start? We have to go back to the beginning, back to that garden, that perfect place. This place, I, I can't fathom it other than you have everything you, you need. You're communing with God daily, right? And Adam's walking around. He's got nothing better to do than name the animals. He's looking over here and he goes, hippopotamus. One I never get. Platypus. What? And over here he says, we have a goose. And when there's more of you together, we'll call you geese. And we have a moose. And when there's more of you together, we'll call you moose. (laughs) Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty. We know the story. The woman said to the serpent, we're not supposed to eat from that. For God knows that when you eat, our eyes will be open. We know what happened. They ate it. And at that moment in time, the world broke. Relationships broke. Marriages broke. Humanity broke at that moment in time. Since the fall, the whole of mankind is sinful and guilty. So everybody is subject to God's wrath and condemnation. Sin directly links our understanding of God and creation with that of Jesus and salvation. Catch this. Sin is what has changed the world from God's original design. Sin and its consequences are the problem with our world. Amen? It's it. That's the problem. As a result, without a clear vision of sin, we sometimes don't understand the storyline of the Bible because the storyline in the Bible is how God works to overcome and rescue us from sin. Without sin, there is no need for a Savior. You look at the world. It's not sin. Doing what's right in my eyes. It's not sin. How do they need a Savior? Sin's personal. In fact, it's one of the most personal elements in a systematic theology because it's describing us. It's describing what's wrong with us. The result, the result's to minimize it. I don't want to be considered bad. I don't want to be a sinner. Putting this personal and pivotal nature together means that it's often we're going to downplay sin with the inevitable knockoff effects of doctrines of God and creation, Jesus and salvation. It's because of this It's because of this that it has been commented that most or even all the heretical teachings that have troubled the church had it hard at a deficient doctrine of sin. We don't talk about it. The nature of sin can most clearly be seen in the actions in the fall of Genesis. When Adam and Eve um, is unique in being the first sin, it sets the pattern for the rest of us. Um, we don't talk about sin, do we? When was the last time you confessed to somebody your sin? Hmm. I sinned yesterday. In preparing for this, sometimes I get stretched a little bit. My, I might get a little tense. I might snap a little bit. Maybe just a little, little bit. Um, I sinned against my wife. And I confessed and said, you know what? 
That wasn't me. And she said, I understand. I said, no, it's just, I need to do this. Are we confessing our sins to one another? Um, it's freeing. <laughs> just let it go. The essential nature of sin is that we're not living with God as God, expressed by an act of disobedience against God's rule as expressed in his word. This is, the, this is instead of the create, cre, created pattern of living with God as our God, whose word is trusted and obeyed. In the Bible, sin is described as many ways. Rebellion against God's lawful authority, a lack of trust in God's word of command and word of promise, making the privilege of deciding what is right and what is wrong of creation in place of God who created it. Worshiping the creation as opposed to worshiping the creator. A lack of thankfulness for God for what he has given us, his gracious provisions, as opposed to a desire for more than what he's given us. An evaluation of self with the desire to be like God, a failure to glorify God as the one and only Hostility to God expressed in defiance of his rules and his commands. That's biblical sin right there. The devil, of course, he attempts us uh, to sin. We can see a parallel in his nature and the nature of sin. Sin is self-exalting pride and independence from God. And that was the devil's downfall before it was ours. Ken will call it autonomy. Hence, sin is seen as culpable and wicked action of humanity against God. See, this is way different from us speaking of sin as mistakes that we make or just simply human weakness. Such terms play down the seriousness of sins. At their worst, they tend to place people in the role of victims or perpetrators of a crime. This has the effect of watering down God's rightful rule of creation where he's the creator, who to be, he is to be obeyed. The undercutting consequences of sin that such punishment is even seen too harsh. Paul knew a lot about sin. If we read Romans, we, 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 it's all about sin and redemption. And Paul reminds us that death through sin and this way, death came to all. One man brought sin into the world. One. The judgment that followed one sin brought condemnation. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all. We who have been adopted into God's family should have a different view of this world. Our hearts should break. We should look at it just the same way Jesus looked at Jerusalem. He is coming into Jerusalem. He knows what's going to take place. And he looks over it. And he cries. He cried. His heart was moved by the plight of the people who chose not to receive him. His heart was deeply saddened by the failure of the majority to receive him. 
I feel a personal conviction when I read this verse. Um, I'm almost moved to tears when I look around and see the people who are rejecting this free gift. Ask yourself, have you been, ever been brought to that point of weeping for lost souls? Jesus was. We see Jesus crying. He pondered the pending condemnation for which those who choose to res- He pondered the... Pre- He pondered the pending condemnation of those who chose to resist his gracious words. Jesus was moved to tears by the fulfillness and hardness, the faithlessness and the hardness of their hearts, an entire city, Jerusalem. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever, Hebrews tells us. He's the same in our city, in our town, in our schools, at our jobs. In our house, I can visualize him weeping over all of that right now. All that resistance to him and his gracious offer of forgiveness and eternal life. Ask him to plant in your heart a sense, a sense of his sorrow for lost souls. Allow that to energize and increase your efforts to be an effective witness for him. For Romans tells us that the creation Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Another way, you know what? That just doesn't do it. Here's another verse. For even the whole creation, all nature awaits eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. Here's another version of it. Everything that God has made is waiting with excitement for the time when he will show the world who his children are. The whole world wants very much for that to happen. The whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of the sons and daughters. The world is waiting for you, Christian, waiting for me, waiting for to see who lights a light and hides it. You have been given a gift. You have been given the greatest gift of all. How can you not share that in this world? I want you to look differently this year, this year at this season, at Easter. Dave challenged you. See, it ain't about eggs. It ain't about big fancy dinners. It ain't about candy, although I will tell you this, peeps are as close to manna from heaven as there there, there could possibly be. Sugar wrapped in sugar, dipped in sugar, dyed in sugar. It's not about cute little fancy dresses and hats. See, we become indifferent about this season. It should force us to our knees. It should force us to weep for a broken world. It should force us to reach out. Even though there's a great deal of beauty in this world, the fact is it's broken. We have no concept of what it was like just after creation. More than that, the world is broken in other ways. We've got natural disasters, diseases, the origins of the myth of evolution foisted as a public, to the public as science. False religions, profiteering, pretend Christians, man's inhumanity to man, and more. Some will say that bad, when bad things happen, that God doesn't care. Or he can't do anything. Or he doesn't even exist. Some will even say he's evil. It's interesting that they don't use the word evil as evidence for the existence of Satan, who's a liar and a destroyer. Such a bad God ideas are simplistic, springing from and looking for excuses to rebel against him. When those excuses are examined, they cannot withstand scrutiny. 
the problem of our broken planet goes all the way back to Genesis. And that's where we begin to learn about the solution, the final victory through life, crucifixion, burial, and the re- body resurrection of Christ. It's hard to deny that we live in a world, broken world. Terribly broken. We are constantly bombarded with news of senseless shootings, terroristic attacks, wars without end, natural disasters, on and on. Despite our wonderful modern medical technology, thousands and thousands of people die every year to cancer, strokes, diabetes. Beyond this, we've seen greed and poverty, abuse, jealousy, racism. This world is broken. So where is this all-knowing, loving creator God in the midst of all this pain and suffering? Where is he? It's right here. He's sovereign. He's on his throne. Accidents and mayhem are part of life in a fallen world. This is not our home. This is not perfect. This is not heaven. God is in control even when it doesn't seem like it is. He is. God has a purpose in what he allows, even though we don't know what that purpose is. Tragedy can serve as a wake-up call. It's possible to embrace hope in the midst of tragedy. The world is not our home. The world has no Jesus. To them... The world is as good as it gets. And then the light switch goes off. Wow. It's as good as it gets. I told you this wasn't a feel-good sermon. But I want you to take something away from it. Because there's more. There's more to the story. See? We'll continue on next week and you'll know the rest of the story. Good day. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this message. Just allow it to go into our heart, go into our mind, go into our soul. Challenge us. Use us, Father. Please, let us speak to those around us. Develop relationships with the lost. We want to be used by you. We want to proclaim in this Easter season what a great gift your son gave on that cross for us. Father, this message is hard, and we don't understand all of it. Um, But we do understand that you are good, and you love us, and you care for every one of us. I just ask that you would bless everybody today as they go on. They just have a great week uh, in safety. And Father, we love you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.